At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our Christmas message series, Eyewitness, Finding Your Christmas Story in Theirs, where you're invited to find your story in the extraordinary experiences of the men and women who witnessed the very first Christmas. Together, we'll see that no matter who we are, the coming of the Christ was for us. Church family, you can be seated. I invite you right away to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and verse 6. Luke chapter 2, verse 6. We're going to jump right into that this morning. And uh, I recognize this Christmas season, perhaps in the middle of the deadlines at the year end or the parties or events or life circumstances, you might be feeling like, I'm not sure Christmas is really for me this year. I'm not sure I understand how meaningful or significant this Christmas is. And uh, I think the passage today uh, has something to say against that. And so let's follow along together in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And it says this, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. You may recognize this as the beginning of perhaps the most famous passage in the Christmas story. It, on everything from Charlie Brown to you know, every nativity set or Christmas card perhaps you have received. It's a very famous and well-loved passage. And because of that, perhaps at times we're in danger of missing the, the boldness, the wonder of what's really being described here. And in our Eyewitnesses series, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the way Luke, a historian who's trying to uh, pull together eyewitness reports of the ministry of Jesus on earth so that his friends and the people around him in his culture could know for certain that the Jesus they had heard about was real, was trustworthy, and that the things that were described really did happen. And so he pulls from, we've looked at uh, Mary's story and, and Joseph's eyewitness account. And today, like we just read, we're going to be looking at the account of the shepherds. So there are shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. This is a group of men, likely even women. It's a family business. Whoever was assigned the midnight shift this night was together out in the field with the sheep all put together in a pen, taking turns, keeping watch over them to make sure they were safe and none of them escaped. And then... An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Man, we picture this, and, and I can picture, you know, Christmas cards where this scene is depicted, and it's always the color blue because it's peaceful and serene, and there's a wonderful, beautiful angel there, and it, it all seems just awesome, and everyone seems happy, and, and it just couldn't be further from the reality of what the shepherds experienced likely in this moment. An angel of the Lord appears to them out of nowhere with God's glory illuminating the space in an awe-impressive way. And these shepherds are terrified. 
And it's logical for them to be terrified, right? They've just experienced something they couldn't have anticipated. They have no understanding what's going on. It's not like they've seen an IMAX experience where maybe they could even pretend to have known the Dolby surround of the rumble and the presence and the jarring experience what happened. I'd like to think maybe we'd be a little bit more accustomed to this, but if I know anything about who God is and what his angelic creations were like, even the best movie experience we could wait all night to buy tickets to attend couldn't prepare us for this. If, if that's true for us, the shepherds especially then were absolutely terrified by what they just physically saw and experienced. But I think there was actually a lot more personal dynamic to what was going on in this moment. These, these shepherds are in their fields doing their jobs, and, and they wouldn't be aware of what place they had in their society. Shepherds, I, I'm not ready to say, I, I don't think most historians are, are claiming that shepherds were looked down on or despised, but they certainly were ordinary. It wasn't an impressive job. It wasn't the type of thing that people bragged about getting to be on their resume. It, it was the type of role that you did when that's what your family did and you had no way out of it, right? It, they were probably working long shifts out in the fields in the weather conditions that weren't wonderful for them. They were probably working with smelly animals without a way to bathe regularly and were themselves then pretty smelly. They were likely not making a fortune. They were ordinary. Probably so ordinary they were overlooked, as in not noticed at all. So, so they know where they're at in their social structure, but they also know where they're at in their religious structure. See, shepherds, because they had constant contact with the, the livestock and the herds of animals they were caring for, by Jewish law and custom, were considered unclean, unfit to enter the temple to worship. You had to go through a period of time where you were uh, without contact with the livestock before you were considered clean to enter the, the temple to worship. And the religious leaders at the time, the people who had it together, the superstars and influencers of their day, Sadducees and Pharisees, loved taking all of these minutia rules and using it as a stick to beat other people into realizing you're not nearly as impressive as we are. We are worthy to enter the temple. We are clean and kept apart from all the scum and dirt of reality. And we get to worship God in purity. You, <laughs> your shepherds, you can't come here. And so these shepherds, aware of their place in society, aware of the fact that they don't really fit in when they walk into the doors of their church, they, they really aren't supposed to be there, perhaps, is our experience of like, I don't feel like I belong. I'm looking around, and all the other families here, all the other single people here seem like they have their life together. And I look at my life, and I feel like I don't fit in here. That, that is who the shepherds were when it came to their place in society, their place in their religious practices. And so, people who are used to not being noticed and used to being kept away from God, suddenly find themselves in the presence of the glory of God with an angel talking to them. Of course they were terrified. 
No one ever noticed them, especially not their religious leaders. Why are angels talking to them? Why is God's glorious presence in front of them? Every story they had ever heard growing up in their youth and whatever little education they had, if they were guys and got a chance to have an education at the local synagogue, had told them that God's glory and the presence of unclean people resulted in those unclean people's death. Right? You touch the Ark of the Covenant, you die. You enter the Holy of Holies without this ritualistic cleansing ceremony, you die. You're not born into the priestly line. You don't get a chance to be in God's presence. You don't have a place here. And yet here they are in the middle of their midnight shift, and God's messengers with God's glorious presence are right in front of them. They were terrified. They thought this was the end. They didn't think they could be in God's presence. And the angel starts talking. He says, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So the angel assures them, hey, listen, you don't have to be afraid. Stop panicking. I know this is not what you're used to. I know you don't feel like you're worthy, but calm down. This is a good meeting. Didn't send you a memo. Five minutes, give me a call, but it's a good thing. Right? Like, I understand the fear at first, but let me assure you, like, it's a good conversation. This is great joy. This is the mega joy. This is the highest and best thing that could be happening. We're here to announce incredible things to you. A Savior who is the Christ, that long prophesied and hoped for Messiah, the Lord, he's been born. And listen, you can be cynical. We're going to give you a way to check this out. Go to the city. You'll find the baby there, wrapped in baby clothes, obviously, but laying in a manger, uh, an animal's feeding trough, which is radically out of place. But before this outlandish detail maybe had a chance for the shepherds to process, before they got to ask a clarifying question, like, wait a second, uh, this is incredible, but uh, so you meant Jerusalem at the temple, right? Like that. That's where this happens. For some reason, pardon me, like in the terror of this moment, while I was wedding myself, I thought you were saying he was in Bethlehem in an angel's feeding trough, but I'm just confused. Before they get to figure that out, the angel has company join him. And suddenly there was an, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. An army of heavenly beings chanting a war cry against the darkness. God gets all the glory, maximum glory to the very heights and, and on the very lowest, as it were, here on earth, he's advancing peace with those who he's choosing to show his goodness to. After the noise settles down, as the angels disappear, verse 15 says, as the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Because I got to be honest, my opinion here, 
I feel like Luke was being generous and kind and paraphrasing what the shepherds actually said. If I know anything about humans, and maybe particularly a class of people like the shepherds belong to, who just experienced the most terrifying thing in their life, and all of a sudden it's gone, and they looked at each other, and probably said things that I'd get in trouble saying from the stage, and then said, we have to go see. We've got to go figure this out. They can't even, in Luke's, in Luke's telling of what they said, they don't repeat the, the grandness of what happened. They don't say, the Christ, the long-awaited for Messiah, has been born in Bethlehem. He's coming to fulfill this promise and that promise. He's coming to set his people free out of the darkness. A light has shown we just experienced fulfillment of that. Let's go see. No, no, they, their minds are still racing. Their ears are still ringing. Their adrenaline is still pumping. Every hair on their head is standing on end, and all they can get out is, we got to see this thing that happened we got to figure out what's going on here. I want to verify what's happening. We have to be witnesses to this. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They see this event coming true. God really did become a baby Everything had happened exactly the way they had been told it would. It's an improper venue for a king. Yes, it's an uncomfortable setting for a baby. Yes, it, it checks off the crazy list they had been given. Verse 17 says, when they saw it, this massive experience of this incredible event, they don't even know how to put it into terms, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Evidently, there had been a, a crew of people who had, had shown up and gathered around the, the stall there, they had been hearing the labor experience from wherever they were, hearing things quiet down and maybe a baby crying. They're curious to see how things went and, and if everyone's okay and, and to look at the baby. And as they're, they're gathered around, this group of country people show up and they're rambling on about angels showing up and telling them that this was the Lord, the Messiah. God had been born. And they're wondering, and they're, they're just in awe of what's going on, and they're trying to figure it out. And, and Mary, who's a little bit more cute in, she has, she has some information from her own experience with an angelic visitor where she knows a few of those missing pieces. And she's taking in what the shepherds had said, remembering everything the angel Gabriel had said to her, and she is treasuring this moment in awe of God in flesh that she had known and felt and carried for nine months and now is seeing with her eyes as if her eyes could help her to understand the wonder of what was happening. And the shepherds walk off praising God. This first-hand account gives us an opportunity that like the shepherds, and along with the shepherds, we too can see 
some incredible truths. First of all, we can see with the shepherds the glory of God. We can see the glory of God because the shepherds saw God's glory shining around them, right? They're in the field and suddenly angelic presence, God's glory in a special manifested way, illuminating the space in power. And then angels, an army of them chanting that he gets all the glory. The shepherds saw the glory of God and we can see the glory of God too. I know that the concept of glory might be a little bit vague. We know glimpses of it. We even use the term, right? You, you think about the concert that you went to or the best movie experience you've ever had where everything seemed to slow down and you felt like it was an out-of-body moment and, and you just were just in wonder and you described it as glorious afterwards, right? Or, or even we describe things that we can't believe have come true as having glory. And uh, even, even when it comes to athletic performances, we, we think of like the achievements of Simone Biles and, and journalists even write about her achieving Olympic or gymnastic glory because we can't fathom how wonderful it is, how beautiful it is, how difficult it is, how impossible it is. We can see the glory of God along with the shepherds, eyewitnesses here, even if we can't imagine perfectly what that night looked like. Because Scripture tells us that in all actuality, when we see who Jesus is and we understand how he lived, we are seeing the glory of God. That when the gospel of Christ is proclaimed, God's glory is made known. Hebrews chapter 1 says it like this, long ago and at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us in another way. Who? Through his son, Jesus, the baby who was born, whom he appointed, it says, heir of all things, through whom all the world was created. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. When we see Jesus, how he lived, what he did, who he was. When we see him, we see the glory of God. Seeing the glory of God together, we're really looking at Jesus. You know, we, in a sense, then get to have a greater experience than even the shepherds did. The shepherds saw God's glory on display with angelic messengers. They were drawn in to the birthday of Jesus himself. For all we know, that's the only time the shepherds saw Jesus. Though if they lived long enough, certainly they could have seen Jesus coming through in his ministry later on in years. And if they hung around town for a while, the flock stayed local. They could have seen Jesus in town for the the next many months. But we got to see, with the benefit of time, Jesus' future. And the ministry Jesus had, his entire earthly life, we get to see more than just his birthday. We can see the full glory of God on display in Jesus' life for us. So we too can see the glory of God as we look at this story. I invite you to see that. I also invite you to see the good news of God along with the shepherds. The shepherds were hearing the angels proclaim Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They said this is good news of great joy. 
angels proclaimed good news to the shepherds, and they saw it fulfilled in Jesus. But they couldn't put all the pieces together. They describe it as this thing that the Lord has told us about, and they arrive at the manger scene. They don't say they arrived at the birthplace of God. They say when they saw it. Rather, they're still trying to fathom what's going on here. We have the benefit of knowing the peace that the angels had been chanting about would actually be achieved by that infant's life and sacrificial death for us. That Jesus would go on to live in our time and space, breathing the dust in that stall and walking on the dirt of those roads and living a perfect life for us and then giving his life for us in our place, for our sins on the cross, that all who repent and believe in him could be saved because he rose again, showing power over death forever. That's good news. The shepherds heard about the birth of Jesus as good news. We know that Jesus was that good news in the gospel. We can see the good news alongside the shepherds. And yet as radically incredible as that news was, it may not be the most stirring thing the shepherds saw. As I reflect on this story, this history, I think about the fact that these were, after all, shepherds, ordinary, smelly, unimpressive, unworthy, to go even as something as simple as going to the temple to worship. And yet in the middle of their night shift, God sent the most radical messenger with the most Incredible message of all to them. He showed up to people who wanted to run away from God's presence because they felt unworthy and said, don't be afraid. You don't have to hide. And I imagine God at this moment is almost giggling like, the very first people I created did the same exact thing when I would show up to them after they fell after they chose their own way instead of the person who can complete them, when I'd show up in the garden that I made for them, they ran away from me. Here I am showing up to more of my people who I've created after my image and who have fallen away from me, and I'm showing up to them, and their first instinct is to recoil. And I'm saying to them, don't be afraid. I'm bringing unto you a Savior Good news for all the people, not just the good people. The shepherds saw a God who was interested in involving unremarkable people and including anyone in his family. That's incredible. And God didn't just show up with a surprise choice of eyewitnesses. He showed up with a surprise choice of incarnation. God became a human, but not like anyone alive at the time would have predicted. I mean, the shepherds would have known, living under Roman rule and oppression, the many stories and myths and legends of so-called gods who became humans. Greek mythology and Roman pantheism was filled with examples of gods becoming humans. In a sense, it might have sounded like not a novel concept. What was novel, though, was in all of those stories, a god became a human as a mighty warrior or a beautiful 
warrior princess or this powerful being who would then wreak havoc and have their way and kill and hurt and steal and rape and usher in pain according to their will and wishes to serve their purposes. That was their experience of the divine in legend becoming human. And yet they're told that unto them was born in a small town Messiah, Lord, God in flesh, not as a mighty warrior, not as a powerful, influential king, but as a baby, wearing baby clothes, not even lying in a proper crib, in an alley, out back, potentially, we don't know, with animals all around. With the shepherds, we can see the humility of God. The humility of God. In Jesus' birth, we see something different, something unexpected. Not only is God glorious and almighty, because he is, but he lowers to us and comes in humility. God stoops to us, for us, as one of us, vulnerable, serving us. Philippians 2 says it so poignantly, right? That though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God as something to be held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, vulnerable, dependent on someone to hold him and feed him and care for him, and then growing day by day, slowly stuck in the time that he had created, developing through pain and progress, Ultimately, as an adult, not to turn on its head and start demanding people serve him, but until the day he died, serving others, washing his disciples' feet, caring for people who were far from God, felt like outcasts, showcasing God's heart on display. In fact, when he described his own heart, an image of God's heart, he said, In Matthew 11, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's God's posture towards his creation. When we see that, the humility of God alongside the shepherds, don't we want to do the same thing they did? We've got to go see this God born. I want to know him. I want to be near a God who acts like that. I want to be close to a God who approaches me like that. Author Dane Ortland puts it this way. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he's accessible. That for all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. God is the farthest thing from distant and uncaring. He's not a Santa Claus who wants to see if you're behaving well enough to reward you and then check out again for a year. He is approachable chiefly in that he's the one who approached us. 
his birth and humble conditions tells us that Jesus was good news for everyone. That you don't have to be well-known or properly put together to get his attention. Jesus came for you, unto you. When we see the glory and the good news and the humility of God together, what we're seeing is Jesus is good news for everyone. The band's going to come up and begin to prepare to play us a song that we want to respond by listening to. And as they do that, I just want to invite everyone back to where we started. In the same region where Jesus had just been born, there were shepherds out in the field. Jesus came for everyone, even shepherds. Those first eyewitnesses, the one God chose to reveal the arrival of his rescuer to ordinary, imperfect, unexceptional, unworthy, afraid, perhaps ashamed. They were suddenly caught in the net of those to whom God was saying, I've come for you. God's glorious yet lowly arrival. A baby in a manger who's God. The shepherds saw that Jesus was good news for everyone. And as eyewitnesses, I know they'd invite us to come along with them and see the same truth. Come, see, taste that he's good. The shepherds didn't find themselves described, perhaps, in that Christmas chorus. Come, all you faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Man, they, they felt different than that. Perhaps you do too. But even if you identify more as an outsider, even if you identify as someone who's inconsistent, unsure, unprepared, disappointed in the way your life has gone, uncertain that God really could be for you, the message of God's arrival and humility for all is that you can come and see right where you're at. Yes, none of us technically deserve it. And that's kind of the wonderful point. We couldn't go to God. And he came to us. Glory has come and is sleeping next door in the alley. Let's come and see Messiah going to live with us and like us and for us. Jesus, the good Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.